that through your word you would speak to us, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would continue to transform us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who are you? What defines you? If you meet somebody on the street and they say, who are you? You tell them your name probably first, and then what do you tell them after that? Maybe you tell them your job, and, and that's great. We were created to work Work ends up being a pretty significant part of our lives. Now, for some people, they take that too far. For some people, they gain their identity from their work. They almost turn their work into an idol or a god, and they start to worship their work. Does that define who you are, what you do? Or for those of you, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Maybe that is what you look to for your self-identity, your self-worth. And I I think we all struggle with those concepts of self-identity self-worth. you ever get this picture in your own mind of who you think you should be? Or do you hear other people talking to you? Maybe it's people from your past. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was expectations that were placed on you. And you're still trying to live up to those expectations. I wonder how many of us have that kind of a picture in our mind. And I wonder how many of us have fallen short of that, whether it's somebody else's expectations or even our own expectations that we just fall short of of who we think we should be. Or maybe as we ask this question, who are you, uh, maybe there's people who are just getting off track a little bit. That that I hope that those of us who are here would say that I'm here to live my life for Jesus, but maybe we get caught up in the other stuff of life and we start living a different life even than what what we say we want to live. And again, just getting back to this idea, we all fall short. We all have this this goal in mind of who we want to be, and we all fall short of that. And on top of that, we've all probably made bad choices. Now, I don't think there's a single one of us in here that would like to be known for our bad choices, although I often think of this when when people get convicted of a crime. They don't want to be known for their bad choices. They want to be known for the good that they've done. Now, what about us? Um, Do you ever think of yourself just entirely in regards to the, the bad choices you've made? the slip-ups you've done in life? Who are you? What defines you? Well, to answer that question, I want to do two things today. First, I want to look at the example of the Apostle Paul. He's a guy who started out living his life in the wrong direction, but God got a hold of him and changed him and, and transformed him into somebody that God could use mightily for his kingdom. He, Paul figured out who he was in light of who God is. And then the second thing I want to do with my sermon today is I want to do a recap of the I Am sermon series that we've been doing here at Cornerstone. We've been looking at these truths of who Jesus is because the the reason I, I want to ask this question, who are you, is because I think who we are is going to come into focus as we figure out who Jesus is and as we submit rightly to him. And my hope is that we will all gain wisdom from God as we seek to find out who we are supposed to be in God's eyes. So first we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul. I want to read a passage in which Paul famously said, but by the grace of God I am what I am. Isn't that a wonderful saying? By the grace of God I am what I am. And again, we've been doing this I am sermon series at Cornerstone where we've been looking at who Jesus is. And what I would like to suggest to you today, and this is my big idea for today, we will figure out who we are supposed to be as we know God for who he is. We'll figure out who we are supposed to be as we know God 
for who he is. Let's see what the Apostle Paul had to say about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 through 10, he said, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul, who used to be known as Saul, started off his life on the wrong track. He thought that he was the real deal. He would not have said to you that he was on the wrong track. If you were to meet Saul in those days, he would have told you that he was the, the best person in the room, the most righteous, that he was the one who had figured out what God wanted him to be and to do, and he was doing it. In his zeal for God, he started persecuting Christians because in his mind, Jesus was a deceiver, a fake and those people who believed in him, who worshipped him, should be thrown in jail. In fact, listen to what it says in Acts 9, 1-2. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This was, this was Paul's, Saul's act of worship for God, was to find people who were worshipping Jesus and threaten them, and try to throw them into jail. But on his way to Damascus, you know what it says here? He, he wanted to go to Damascus. Paul met God on what we call the Damascus Road. He met Jesus. He had a vision of Jesus, and he came to put his trust in Jesus. And from there, he went on to have a huge impact for Jesus, spreading the gospel of God as far and wide as he could. So how does Saul, who then changed his name to Paul, go from persecutor to apostle. Well, what I love about our passage in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Paul gives all the credit to God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His life highlights God's grace. By the way, simple, simple definition for the word grace is the word gift. The, the word grace can mean gift. I'm not saying that every single time it's just a plug and play, you can do it, but, but just a very simple definition of the word grace is that it's God's gift to us. That, that we all were people who had gone astray. We might not have looked like Paul. We might not have persecuted the church. But we all had our backs turned to God at one point. We all were living according to our own ways. And it, and it wasn't just that we all of a sudden woke up one day and turned ourselves around. It's that God rescued us. For any of us who are in Christ, the only reason that we're in Christ is because God loves us and rescued us and sent his son for us. It is the gift of God that we would be transformed, that we would be rescued from sin and death and brought into life. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And Paul carried this mindset with him, that it, that it wasn't all about Paul and about how good he was at doing this apostle stuff. It was the grace of God that made him who he was. You see, for Christians, the most important part about us is Christ in us. It's not about your talents, your abilities, your gifts, your skills. It is about Christ in us. It is the grace of God to, to turn us from enemies into friends. We sang about that today. I was just thinking, what an amazing thing that God has done to reconcile us to himself, to bring us to himself. We've all made bad choices. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. We've all fallen short of our own expectations. It is the grace of God to rescue us and to turn us into the people he wants us to be. 
And although we may not live up even to our own expectations, we don't have to look at ourselves according to that grid anymore. There's these wonderful verses in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Think about that. So often we look at ourselves according to the worldly point of view. How do I measure up with this person? How successful am I? How wealthy am I? How attractive am I? We look at ourselves from a worldly point of view. It goes on to say here, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That is such good news, isn't it? Doesn't that free us from this this self-talk that we can say to ourselves, or from the, the expectations of the world to live according to the pattern of this world, to live according to the, the expectations of this world, we are set free from that because in Christ we are a new creation and God is working on our hearts to make us the people he wants us to be. We are recipients of God's grace. And God is really good at shaping us into the people that he wants us to be. So what I want you to see today is that who we are supposed to be has everything to do with who God is. It actually has very little to do with who we are, except for the fact that we are to place our faith in Christ. And once we've done that, God carries us into this new life and strengthens us and sustains us and gives us even more gifts. Those spiritual gifts we're talking about, again, it's the spiritual graces of God poured out in our lives so that we can walk with him and serve him. Because God wants us to know him, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live in our world and to teach us the right way to live. So now I want to kind of change gears here. I wanted to give just kind of this, this personal, well, I can't give a personal testimony for Paul. I wanted to share a little bit of Paul's testimony to, to talk about the, the powerful impact that, that knowing God had on him to change him. And again, to highlight that phrase, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He learned who God was and his life was changed. And and now, like I said, I want to change gears and I want to do a recap of this I Am sermon series that we've been doing here at Cornerstone. In this sermon series, we we looked at these wonderful statements from Jesus about who he is. And, And the angle I want to take today is that in light of who he is, we see who we are supposed to be. In light of the tremendous grace that God has shown us in sending Jesus, we get a glimpse of what he wants our lives to be like. These statements aren't just about knowing the truth of who Jesus is, although it is that. It's also about what God wants to do in us and what we should do in response. So what I want to do for the rest of this sermon is recap these I am statements from Jesus. They're in the Gospel of John, chapters 6 through 15. There are, depending on how you count them, either seven or eight of them. But before I walk through these I am statements, I want to do a little uh, game show here, if I'd have any brave volunteers. And if we don't have any volunteers, I'm not, afraid, I'm not afraid to call people up. So I'll tell you what the game show is. The game show is, who can come up here and say all of the I Am statements of Jesus from the book of John, chapter 6 through 15? And like a good game show, you can have help from your friends. So you can phone a friend or uh, ask somebody here. Does anybody think that they could come up here and do that? Does anybody, anybody want to try it? I see Ingvald counting back there. You got up to, okay, no, you want to do it? <laughs> Wait and see who else. Does, does anybody want to give it a try? I timed my kids last night. They did pre- Should I have my kids come up and do it? No. <laughs> they did it in 12 seconds last night. So, uh, okay. Let, let, we'll just do it as a group. Okay. Let's, uh, so just, just kind of...
kind of shout them out. The, the seven I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. The gate for the sheep. Good job. There, there we go. That wasn't so hard, was it? Okay. Those are the seven I am statements of Jesus. Um, now what I want to do to recap is I want to walk through them in order. So we're going to start with the first one in John 6 where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He said this in 635 as well as 648. In the context of John 6, the the Jews were asking Jesus for a miraculous sign so they might believe in him. They were asking if he could give them something like the manna that that God gave to his people in the desert to sustain them for 40 years. And then they said they might believe in him. Well, Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He also said earlier, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You see, manna, as miraculous and important as it was, it didn't last forever. It only lasted for those 40 years. And then God stopped giving it. But Jesus, in contrast, is the bread that leads to eternal life. He said in 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Jesus is bread spiritually speaking for us. We are to feed on him. We are to believe in Jesus. He gives us life. He is the bread of life. Okay, so that's the first one. I am the bread of life. The second one. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He said this in John 8, 12 and again in 9, 5. I'll read John 8, 12 for you. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then again, John, Jesus said this in John 9. And in John 9, he proved his point by restoring the sight of a man who had been born blind. Remember, nobody had ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind, and that's exactly what Jesus did. This man literally couldn't see before he met Jesus, and then he met Jesus, and Jesus healed him, and then he could see. Without Jesus, we don't see. With Jesus, we do see. An illustration here. I think I've told this one before, but I really like this one. I went caving with some friends of mine. Spelunking was the, was the proper term, I guess. And we had these headlights that we, we wrapped around our head, and it was like a flashlight on top of our head. And uh, we, we went caving as far as we could go, and we ended up in this really tiny little cave within the cave. And one of the friends <coughs> said, let's turn off our lights. So we all turned off our lights. And, and I expected, I, I put my hand in front of my face, and you know how when you're like in a dark bedroom or something, you can, you can still kind of see? Like, you, you can try this out tonight. You're in your bedroom and it's dark. You put your hand in front of your face. Maybe you don't see it at first, but then, oh yeah, now I see it. I expected in that cave that I was going to be able to see my hand, but I just couldn't. just didn't matter how long I held it there. I was not going to be able to see my hand. You see, it's human nature for us to assume that we can see the way that we need to see. It's human nature for us to think that we can make it through this life on our own without help from God. But in regard to spiritual sight, we cannot see rightly without Jesus. Now, thankfully, he is the light of the world. And and because we can know him as the light of the world, we can see by his light. And he can lead us into what is right. All right, let's move on to the next one. The, the next two are actually very similar. They both have to do with sheep. In John 10:7, Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate for the sheep. And I love his explanation of this one in verses 9 through 10. He said, I am the gate. 
Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, I, I love these descriptions. Um, I love in here that there's salvation for all who enter through Jesus. But there's also this abundant life. Look at the descriptions here of this abundant life. It talks about those who come through Jesus, they can come in and go out and find pasture. Sheep are not known as being animals that can find the food that they need for themselves. So they are, they are led here through the gate to come in and go out and find pasture. And although there's an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. There's another translation that says that we might have abundant life. Does that sound good to anybody? Abundant life? But please know that 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 life is for us as we know Jesus, as we come in and go out through him. Jesus is the gate. And then similarly, also, Jesus is the good shepherd. This is our fourth one. Jesus said this one also in John 10. He said it in verses 11 and 14. There's some pretty powerful language in John 10 about the relationship between sheep and shepherd. I want to show you a couple of them. Jesus said in verse 3 about this good shepherd, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Isn't that neat that he, he knows us by name? And then in verse 14, he said, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. We talk a lot, we Christians talk a lot about a relationship with Jesus. Well, this will be one of the passages where we talk about that because there's this mutual knowing, this, this two-way relationship between sheep and shepherd where the, the sheep gets to know his shepherd and the, the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the shepherd gets to know the sheep and the sheep also get to know the shepherd. And it, it says in there that, that they will listen to their shepherd's voice but they won't follow a stranger. And isn't that neat? They've gotten to know their shepherd's voice so well that they have learned to follow him and only him. And, and that's what I want for us, that we would get to know the voice of our Savior, of our shepherd so well that we would constantly follow him wherever he would lead us. And then one other thing about the good shepherd, in verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A good shepherd will take care of his sheep. And again, sheep are needy animals. They're not very good at defending themselves from predators. We might not like to think of ourselves as being that needy, but we are. And, and that point is perhaps made most clear as we think about eternal life. We can't get eternal life ourselves. And the reason that we can't get eternal life ourselves has to do with ourselves. We were the ones who created the problem. We were the ones who sinned against God, and it was because of that, that sin against God that we had earned a death penalty. So, so God saw all of this. He saw us like sheep going astray. Each of us had turned to our own way, like it says in Isaiah 55. But what did God do for us in his great love for us? He sent the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Jesus saw exactly what was happening to us. He knew what stood against us, and he came in and literally laid down his life for the sheep. He died for us in our place. When he died on the cross, he took our sin penalty upon himself. So that anyone who receives him can receive complete forgiveness, can receive eternal life. Jesus saw what stood against us and laid down his life for us. He is the good shepherd. We couldn't save ourselves. He did it for us. So have you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord? If not, I want to urge you to do it right now, even just, just in prayer right now. Just talk to God and ask to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Ask Him to forgive your sins and to lead you into new life.
Let's move on to the next I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. This one is in John 11 in the midst of a really cool story in which Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But it's interesting, Lazarus didn't start out dead in this chapter. He started out sick. And Jesus was a good friend of Lazarus. And Jesus had already done a bunch of miracles in his, in his life, including some long-distance miracles. So why didn't he just heal Lazarus? Because he had something much bigger in mind to show his power of life over death. He told us ahead of time what he was doing. In verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. I love that. It won't end in death. It went to death, but it didn't end there. And then verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, his disciples, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now they thought that Jesus was talking about natural sleep, but in verse 14, he says, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. May believe. As proof of his power of life over death, Jesus intended to raise Lazarus from the dead so that the people would believe. I pointed out when we walked through this, uh, this passage last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, believe is a key word in this passage. Showing up 11, uh, I'm sorry, in John 11 it shows up eight times. Believe. Look what Jesus said would happen for those who believe. Verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, that's to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Now I love this I am statement of Jesus. All the other six of them are very normal, everyday things. Bread, light, sheep, now, this one, death is a, was an everyday occurrence. People, people always are dying around us. But resurrection, that was something different. Resurrection wasn't part of the way that they were thinking. So for Jesus to say, I am the resurrection and the life, he's urging us to believe that he is the one who has power over death. He is the one who could raise Lazarus from the dead. He is the one who could be raised from the dead after his own death. He is the one who can raise us from the dead. Do you believe this? In Christ, death is not the end. We have eternal life. Then our sixth one, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. He said that in John 14, 6. He said this in the midst of a conversation in which he was comforting his disciples with, with words about heaven and preparing a place for those who follow him. John 14, verses 4 through 6. Jesus said, You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, that's one of his disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas thought he didn't know the way, but he actually did know the way because he knew Jesus, and Jesus is the way. He's the only way to the Father, in fact, as Jesus said there, the only way. No one comes to the Father except through him. That word way can also mean road or path. So there, there's one path where we follow Jesus, but there is another path, another option for us to take. Jesus talked about that one in Matthew 7. He talked about the, the road, the broad road that leads to destruction, and many find it. But the other, the other road, the one that leads to life, is narrow. That's the one where we, where we believe in Jesus, where we follow him. 
There are only two paths, and it makes so much sense for me. And, and I just want to keep encouraging you. I talk about this a lot here. I just want to keep encouraging you to know that there are only two paths. Either we are with Jesus or we are not with him. Either we believe in him or we reject him. Either we follow him or we make our own way. Those are the only two options that we have in life. And I want to urge you to know Jesus as the way. And it's so great that, that Jesus doesn't just show us the way. He, he didn't just set an example and say, try to live like this. He is the way. So we can receive him as Savior and Lord. He can take up residence in our heart. And from there, he continues to lead us because he is the way and we can do life with him. And then the seventh I am statement. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Jesus said this one in John 15 in both verses 1 and 5. In John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Because Jesus is the vine, he supports and nourishes the branches. And God wants to produce fruit through us. Isn't that encouraging? Like, like sometimes we might look at the lack of fruit in our lives and think, oh, God must be so disappointed in me. But actually, the truth is that God wants to produce fruit through us as we remain in Jesus. That word translated remain or abide in John 15 shows up 11 times in the chapter. If we remain with, if we stick with, if we abide with, if we live with, if we dwell with, if we do life with Jesus, God will bear fruit through us. On our own, we can't produce anything of lasting value. But in this chapter, we're told that we can remain in Jesus. We're told to remain in his love. We're told to obey his commands. And as we do that, we're told in, in verse 11 of that chapter that we get to have complete joy. Isn't that great? God wants to produce fruit in us and through us, and he wants to give us complete joy. And it happens as we remain in Jesus. Okay, that's the recap of this sermon series. Now what I want to do is I want to recap the recap. So, um, and then we'll recap the recap. No, that would just be silly to do that. So we'll just, we'll just recap the recap, what we're going to do. But I want to walk through these now just a little bit more quickly, and I want you to think about application. I want you to think about one or two of these that might stand out to you a little bit as you think about who Jesus is and, and who God wants you to be in light of who Jesus is. It's that grace of God. So again, what we've been doing here so far today, we've been looking at the, the idea of God's grace, that it can transform us. Even the, the, the Apostle Paul, who went from persecutor to apostle, the grace of God can change us. Change us. And one of the ways it changes us is as we look at the truth of who God is and we see because of who he is, who he wants us to be. So again, I want you to think through these now as we, we look at application. Okay, so number one, because Jesus is the bread of life, we are to feed on him. We are to feed on him. I think of this in two ways. Initially, it's for salvation, but it talks a lot about eternal life. In fact, in John 6 through 15, the concept of eternal life is mentioned seven times. There's these seven I am statements and there's seven mentions of eternal life. Um, we feed on Jesus and he gives us eternal life. But then I also think of this, this bread, almost like the daily bread that Jesus told us to pray for, that, that we can keep walking with Jesus and as we walk with Jesus, God strengthens and sustains us. Second, because Jesus is the light of the world, we are to let him show us where to go. Now, this is the one that I've kind of picked out as the one that I want to think about. We all go through life with our own assumptions about how life should go. And, and we kind of, you ever notice how um, we, we become like our own commentator about life? 
And it's almost like we trust our commentary over any other commentary that we would hear. And, and I just want us to know that, that we have no hope of seeing this life rightly unless we're with Jesus. And I want to go back to that cave story I mentioned. So I told you how the four of us, we went in, we had our headlights on, we got as far as we could go, we turned off our lights and it was just pitch dark, couldn't see a thing. And then somebody said after that, okay, let's turn our lights back on and let's go out. I went to turn my light back on and it didn't turn on. What do you think I did? Do you think I said, all right, I'll see you guys, I'm going to go find my way. I, I would not have been able to, it's like, I, I, I sometimes think, what if I were alone? I think I'd probably still be in that cave. <laughs> my skeleton would be at least. Um, what did I do? What do you think I did when my light didn't work, but my three friends had lights that did work? What did I do? Kids? <laughs> I, I stuck with the light and they were able to guide me out of that cave what about us in our lives spiritually speaking we, we kind of get to this point where we think I can do this I know what I'm supposed to do in life not if we're with Jesus we don't so we stick with the light of the world when, when things start to go not our way we don't just figure it out according to our own resources we go to Jesus we pray say God what do you want me to do how do you want me to see this? How do you want me to see this? We can't see our life rightly unless we're with the light of the world. And by the way, it's not just about showing up to church and getting your weekly dose of light. It doesn't work that way. It's about in all we do, walking with Jesus. Number three, because Jesus is the gate for the sheep, we are to enter through him into abundant life. This one, again, has both an initial component and an ongoing component. Initially, we are to come to him for salvation. We're like sheep. We can't protect ourselves from death. We need him. But then ongoingly, we are to continue to go in and out through him to find that good pasture. God has good things for us. And we get those good things as we walk with Jesus. Number four, because Jesus is a good shepherd, we are to follow him. Sheep aren't known for their ability to provide for themselves. But the, and we might not like to think of ourselves as sheep, but the truth is we need Jesus. We need him to guide us into what is good. We have our own ideas of what life should look like. Let's make sure that we're constantly coming before Jesus and learning from him. And I think I could say this about any of these seven, but I'll just say it right now. This is, this is meant to be a daily thing, even a moment-by-moment -moment sort of a thing, following Jesus. He has good plans for us. We have plans. But what we need to do is keep submitting those plans to God. And, and part of that means it's this, this process that we go through in which we learn from Jesus. That's why we come to church. That's why I'm such a big fan of reading your Bible. I, I don't read your Bible. I read my Bible. Okay, reading our Bible every day. Learning from Him. Growing in our faith. Praying as well. Constantly. Uh, the Apostle Paul commanded us to pray continually. We keep talking to God throughout our day. We also keep putting ourselves around other believers so that we can talk about our faith together, encourage each other, or if we see somebody who's starting to slip or to stray, that we help them. And by the way, listen to those people. Listen to your brothers and sisters in Christ when they're helping you. You might have started to slip or stray and you didn't even know it. They might see it before you do. But on a daily basis, we are to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. Number five, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we are to believe in him. And, and this is so important because none of us can protect ourselves from death. We, we couldn't be smart enough or strong enough or wealthy enough to protect ourselves from death. It's coming for all of us. But 
Eternal life is ours in Jesus Christ for those who believe, for all who believe. He proved his power over death. He proved it by raising Lazarus. He proved it by raising himself. And he will prove it again by raising us. Do you believe? Number six, because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, we are to walk with him wherever he leads us. Again, I love this picture of Jesus as the way. He's the one who not only shows us where to go, but he himself is the way. We are to do life with him. Everything that we do, we're to do it with him. That might mean that some things in our lives need to change because he hasn't led us into them. But what he does lead us into will be very, very good. Number seven, because Jesus is the true vine, we are to remain in him. We can't produce fruit on our own. We have to remain in him. We are to know him, to love him, and to follow him. And as we do that, then God produces this wonderful fruit through us. It's his work to do it. So here, those are the I am statements, or at least those are the first seven. Remember I said that there's seven or eight, depending on how you count on them? Well, I want to talk about the other one now. It's the one I actually started my sermon series with. It's the one in John 8:58 where Jesus said, Before Abraham was born, I am. And it weren't no bad grammar he was using. He, he was making a theological point. I am is a name for God. Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Jesus came to earth. And Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. This name, I am, has to do with the fact that God has always existed. And by the way, it's a name that God the Father is pleased to share with the Son. There never was a time when God didn't exist. He has always existed. The reason that we exist is because God created us. God, the eternal God, has invited us into eternal life with him. We can't get life on our own. Again, it's, it's foolish to think that we could get life on our own. The only way that we get life is if we know Jesus. So think about that. I started off my sermon asking this question, who are you? What defines you? We all have lots and lots of opinions and ideas about what life should look like. We all have our own plans and dreams. But what we really need to be doing is listening to God. Learning who Jesus is. Because when we know Jesus then he leads us into life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be guided into the life that is truly life. We were created by the great I Am. We were created to know him and to do life with him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And I hope what you've seen today is that what should define us is that we have the privilege of being with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is the grace of God. It's that grace that changed Saul from persecutor and self-righteous religious person into the humble Paul who, who served God mightily. It's the grace of God that can take us from people who were enemies of God, who had our backs turned to him. We can be rescued and brought into new life in which we become friends of God, in which we continue to serve him as we walk with him. Let's not settle for life on our own. Let's believe in Jesus. Let's remain in him. Let's feed on him. Let's follow him wherever he leads. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for these wonderful things that are true of Jesus. Thank you that we've had this privilege of looking at your word over the last couple months to look at the truth of who Jesus is and because of that, who you want us to be. And I pray that we would be people who believe, who follow, who remain in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are the way and the truth and the life, that you are the bread of life, that you are the light of the world, that you are the gate for the sheep, that you are the good shepherd, that you are the true vine, 
that you are the resurrection and the life. May we believe and walk rightly with you. God, would you please strengthen us for that? Would you please fill us with the Holy Spirit? Would you please point out to us when we're not walking rightly? God, would you continue to pour out your grace on us to make us the people that you want us to be as we follow Jesus? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.